Well, good morning. May be seated. You were already sitting down. It's fine. I don't even have to say that, right? Well, man, we're excited this morning to be kicking off a brand new series. We're going to be spending some time in the book of First Kings primarily as we walk through a series on the life of Elijah. Kind of the subtitle of the message is, is called Going Against the Grain. Because the reality is, is sometimes when Jesus calls us into obedience, it's not popular, it's not liked, it's not comfortable, and yes, it is the path of blessing and fulfillment. So Lord willing, we're going to see that this morning and in the weeks to come as we walk through the life of the prophet Elijah. So can we pause and ask for the Lord's help this morning as we begin. Father, we need you. And we have already sung, Lord, we surrender. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to you this morning. We would be ready to receive your word that you would speak to your people. They need to hear your voice this morning, not mine. So I pray you would hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. Exalt the name that is above every name. Draw us into deeper fellowship with your son. Help us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and propel us to acts of obedience and worship of you. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. amen. Title of the message today is simply unconventional. So if you want to draw your attention to the screen, that's where we want to start. Let's see if you can identify these three different Characters. First one up on the upper right. Anybody know who that is? Lenny and Lenny and Squiggy from, of course, what show? Do you guys know? Laverne and Shirley. It's old school, like an old fool up there. That's right. Yeah. All right. And right in the middle is, of course, Steve Urkel from the show. Family Matters. And last but certainly not least, on the lower left-hand corner is none other than. Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. Now, what do all three of these characters or groups of characters have in common? Couple things. First thing is they're all extremely quirky, right? These three characters provided the comic relief in some of these shows where they would come on and people would laugh just at their entrance. In fact, all three of them, when they would enter, what would the studio audience do? They'd clap when they came on the scene. These were kind of the quirky, offbeat, unconventional characters. And there was another thing that was extremely interesting about all three of these folks. They kind of just showed up in the middle of the show. Like they would just enter, boom, kind of interrupt the flow of things, and boom, there they were. Well, I bring that up this morning because that is a apt description of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. You know, before this point in the story of 1 Kings, the name Elijah is not even mentioned. And then all of a sudden, he just shows up, and he's rather offbeat. We'll show that in just a minute. He just shows up, and he becomes the main character of the book from that point forward. I mean, it's unbelievable. He just comes out of nowhere, and Elijah, let me tell you, was an unconventional character. 
Well, that starts, first of all, with his fashion choices. Look at this description from 2 Kings about Elijah. It says this, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. In other words, it's definitely him. Nobody else dresses like that. Uh, Elijah was kind of an offbeat character. He was unconventional in that. But the other thing that was even more unconventional about Elijah was his message. God called Elijah to step into a culture that was plunging headlong away from the Lord. And God commissioned Elijah to deliver an unconventional, uncomfortable message. His role was to call Israel to repentance. And this was super necessary at the time. And that was primarily because there was a guy on the throne in the nation of Israel at that time by the name of King Ahab. Can everybody boo? I mean, like you mean it from your heart. Boo. Ahab was the worst king. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Ahab, son of Omri. Let's boo every time we hear Ahab. Ahab, son of Omri became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judas king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. But Ahab did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Look at this next phrase, more than any who were before him. And Israel had some bad ones. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, were not enough. We'll say more about that in just a minute. He married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and bow in worship to him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an astropole. Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings who were before him. This is a bad, tragic story. So the nation of Israel had been led into idolatry by Jeroboam. But did you notice the Bible says here that Ahab's idolatry was worse than Jeroboam's idolatry? Well, why? Well, Jeroboam's sin was this. He set up a temple in Samaria, which is not where the temple was supposed to be, but it was supposed to be a place where you worship Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of the Israelites. Well, Ahab was like, well, we're done with that. Get rid of that temple. Let's build a new temple. And this temple is just to a complete other God. It's Baal, the God of storms, the God of fertility, the one who's supposed to bless the crops. We're gonna worship Baal instead of Jehovah. He's not even having any pretense anymore but has led his people away from serving God at all. And they're bowing down and worshiping Baal. And for that reason, the the insertion of Elijah is critical. Elijah steps into an era, a day, a cultural moment when the nation of Israel is running as fast as they can away from God and Elijah is called to go against the grain. And that's exactly what he does. First Kings chapter 17, verse number one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Abraham, as the Lord God of Israel lives in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except my command. 
So Elijah strolls into the palace of King Ahab. He gets an audience with this idol-worshiping king and says, yeah, Ahab, you know that God of storms, the one that sends rain? You know the God that's supposed to bless the crops with fertility? You know that guy? Hey, he's gonna be out of commission for a little bit. That's bold. He's stepping into an extremely turbocharged environment here and saying some extremely unpopular words. Here's the idea. Listen, sometimes, friends, listen to this idea. Sometimes righteousness is risky. Sometimes when you do the right thing, it is a risky endeavor. Can you feel that in your heart? Have you ever been called into an act of obedience from the Lord and it feels like, well, this is a little scary. If I do this, this is gonna happen. If I move this way, then this is gonna happen. They're not gonna like it when I move in a sense of righteousness because the reality is often the path of following Jesus is not the path of least resistance. Righteousness is risky. Often in our culture today, that remains the case. This was not just true of Elijah. Think about it, friends. When you stand for ideas like the exclusivity of Christ, the authority of God's word, or a biblical sexual ethic, you can expect opposition in our culture today. Just expect, it's risky. It's risky to be committed to biblical truth. What is more? When you prioritize things like church attendance, raising your children in a certain way, showing restraint in your language and your behaviors, Friends and family members and coworkers and supervisors will at, at times raise an eyebrow at your strange and unconventional behavior when you are trying to do what is right. Let's just admit it this morning, can we? Obedience is sometimes unpopular. Look, you cannot equally prioritize coolness and following Jesus because sometimes those things are gonna be out of step. You cannot say, I wanna be well-liked and follow Jesus and put those on the same level. You've gotta choose one or the other. If you choose being well-liked, you're gonna sometimes compromise following Jesus. And sometimes when you choose following Jesus, guess what? You're not gonna be popular. You're gonna be like Elijah, unpopular to say the least. We'll see more about that in just a moment. So where is this all leading? Here's the good news. Even when obedience is scary and unpopular, listen to this idea, what God commands, he also enables. Let me say that again. What God commands, he also enables. In other words, if God calls you to take a step of obedience that is countercultural and unpopular, he will give you the strength and the grace and the provision that you need in order to do it. What God commands, he also enables. You say, where do you get that, Ryan? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's what it says. Listen very carefully to God's word here. And God is, what's it say, church? God is to make every grace overflow to you. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. 
that doesn't say that God will make you flush in your bank account. What it says is that when you obey him and you take this step of obedience, what will you got? You got all you need. All the grace you need, all the strength you need, all the courage you need, it is there for the taking. It is available for you. God will meet you in your step of obedience. Which leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. We must obey God's voice and trust his hand. We must obey God's voice and trust his hand. Or I can add a couple other little prepositions in there. We must obey God's voice by trusting his hand. We must obey God's voice because we trust his hand. All of those things are true. Let me give you an illustration to explain what I mean by that. You know, we've got like a hundred children. It's just eight, but who's counting, right? And part of raising our kids means that I have at some time or another taught them all to swim, right? And you go to the pool, one of the things you do when you're teaching kids to swim is you have them stand up on the edge of the pool, you get out in front of them and you say what? Jump. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this require faith to obey my voice? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, my children have got to trust me to obey my voice. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's difficult. We're still working on it with Lila right now. She's more like jump and she's like, nope, reach. Reach is what I'm doing right now. Reaching is as close as I'm getting to faith. But the reality is, is even though this is a, a leap of faith, they will eventually do it because they, they trust my hand. They know my character. They know daddy is dependable. They know I'm not going to let them down. They know when they jump, I'm going to what? Catch them. And that's the only way we'll obey God. If God calls us into a step of obedience, we must believe that he is going to catch us. In order to obey his voice, we must learn to trust his hand. He's faithful. He doesn't fail. He upholds his promises. Can't you feel that? Has God been faithful to you? Has God shown up in your life? Well, if you're going to take the next step of obedience, you must believe that God's hand is trustworthy. He's going to catch you when you jump. We see this in the story in the life of Elijah, how God provided over and over and over again for his servant. So I want to talk this morning briefly about trusting God to provide. Three things that we must believe about God's provision if we're going to take those leaps of obedience. Okay, three things that we must believe about God's provision if we're going to take those leaps of obedience. Before I do that, though, I got to tell you the whole story. All right, ready? So buckle up. We're going to fly through this fast. After Elijah kind of walked into Ahab's throne room and did his mic drop... God gave him some completely understandable instructions. Verse number two of chapter number 17. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, hide at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. Some modern translations simply translate this verse as run. That's it. That's what God said, like run. 
So Elijah does that. He books it out of there and he hides himself by a small brook. And this is where the story starts to get interesting. Verse number four. You are to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. And every day, that's exactly what happened. Elijah is hiding and day by day, the ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, he would drink from the wadi. In time, as brooks do, it dried up. We'll get back to that in just a moment. So God gave Elijah a new set of marching orders. He's been hiding by the brook, fed by the ravens, and then God shows up again and says, get up. Go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah gets up and goes. He makes the journey to Zarephath. And then he asked what the Lord told him to do. Verse number 10, when he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. And as he went to get it, she went to get it. He called to her and said, oh, also, I mean, he's pretty demanding here. Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But there was a slight problem. The woman didn't have any bread. In fact, she was about to starve, verse number 12. But she said, as the Lord God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in the jug. And just now I am gathering a couple sticks in order to prepare for myself and my son so that we can eat it and die. She is on her last leg. Then Elijah makes an astounding statement. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like, what? Like, that's all I know right now is fear. We're about to die. And you say, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. I mean, the pluck of this dude. Don't just like go make you some, then make me some. First, you go make me some, then you go make you some. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour in the jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the earth. And the woman does what Elijah says and the Lord kept his word and the flour and the oil never ran out. So what can we learn? What do we learn about the provision of God from these two amazing stories? Three things, number one. God's provision is dependable. You notice in neither of these stories, God dropped, God chose not to drop a freezer chest full of food from the sky. It's not like he said, hey, Elijah, you in trouble? Let me send down my freezer, boom, full of steaks and egos and drumsticks. Drumsticks are my wife's favorite. She'd be good for three years, no problem. God didn't do that. In neither situation. Why? Well, one, refrigeration was not invented. But that's beside the point. Why did God choose to provide for Elijah like he did? Just a little by little, day after day, raven fly in, raven go out. Little oil, little flour, day by day by day. Why? I think because God wanted to demonstrate to Elijah that our father is faithful. He wanted Elijah to have it writ large in his heart that you can depend on God, not to just show up once in a while, 
not to just come and meet your big needs, but God can be relied upon to meet your days, day, your needs, day after day after day. After all, in the Lord's prayer, what does it say? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. It doesn't say give us this day a big bank account so we can go and get our bread on our own. Give us this day our daily bread. God wants to show himself in our lives as the faithful need meter. Now look, put yourself in Elijah's shoes for just a moment, or sandals as it were. He's there by the brook. God says, run, he runs. He gets there and he's like, I hope this is gonna work out. And then day one, in flies the flock of ravens. And they come and they just, you know, drop his meal there. And he's like, holy smokes. That's in the Hebrew. This is, this is amazing. And then he eats his food and he goes to bed. And then how do you think he's feeling in the morning? He's like, was that a dream? Is God going to do that again? And his heart is probably like a little bit anxious. And then he gets up in the morning and lo and behold, here comes the ravens again. Steve and Jerry, there they are. And they've brought his food again. And then they do it that night and the next day and that night and the next day and that night and that day and that night. And by the time the brook is dry, Elijah's treating them like trusted servers at his favorite restaurant. Oh, thank you, Jerry. You brought me the twist of lime that I asked for. Like he's... He's beginning to trust God in this full way. Why? Because God has shown himself strong over and over and over and over again. It's not just one time meeting his need. It's God meeting his need every single day. And then God says to Elijah, hey, I want you to go to Zarephath. And Elijah, by this point, after God has provided for him day after day after day, he's probably like, all right, let's see what the Lord's going to do. This is a different man. Why? This is a different man because God has shown himself strong, shown himself dependable in his life. And God has writ large in the sky, Elijah, you can trust me. I'm dependable. Even when you don't see the way that I'm going to provide, I am dependable. And so he can go to Zarephath and be like, hey, lady, go give me some bread. She's like, I don't have any bread. She, just go give me some bread because the Lord is going to show up. I know God will meet your need just like he met my need. Elijah is converted in one sense. He is an evangelist for the provision of God. Can I ask you a question, church? Has God shown up in your life? Can I make a statement now? Isn't that easy to forget sometimes? We don't drift towards faith. We drift towards forgetfulness. And the reason that God wants to provide for us daily bread is to give us reminders all the time. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. Just pause right now. Was God faithful to you yesterday? How about, how about Friday? Was he faithful? Thursday? Was he faithful? How about January 16th? Was he faithful? How about 2020? Was he faithful back then? 
Was he faithful in 2017? Has God been faithful all of the days in between? Friends, if we are to take those leaps of obedience, we must remember that our God is dependable. He's never dropped us. He's never let us down. He shows up on time. He is a God you can depend on. Number two, if we are to take these steps of obedience, then we must also realize that God's provision is also diverse. Here's the thing as I was reflecting on this story, Elijah's need in both by the brook and in Zarephath was exactly the same thing. What did he need in both situations? Food. He needed food by the brook and he needed food in Zarephath. And yet did God choose to provide it exactly the same way? No. God provided the whole time, but God didn't provide in exactly the same way every time. Here's the principle I want us to recognize. Though we know that that God will provide, we always do not know how God will provide. We know that God will provide, but we don't always know how God will provide. Sometimes we take a big step of obedience, and God opens this giant door of opportunity in front of us. And other times we take a step of obedience, door slammed in our face. But is God still providing? The answer is yes. Because he's got the big picture in mind and he always provides for his people. It just might not be the way you expect him to. We know that God will provide. We don't always know how God will provide. Let me give you a little illustration from the life of Gospel Hope Church. As many of you know, six years ago, we started right over here in Avondale Elementary School. Um, just right across the parking lot. And when we were started meeting, we were not in our location for more than two weeks. And the principal very kindly came to us and said, man, we love you guys, but we're gonna do a construction project and there's gonna be no water in the building all summer. You've got five weeks to get out. That felt like a setback. We'd scoured for a location. We were looking everywhere. We were very happy with where we were. We felt like a setback in that situation. So Rod and I started kind of like circling back the wagons, going back to places that we had talked to. And by God's grace, Rod went right over here down the street about a half a mile to Belvedere Seventh-day Adventist. And they were like, oh yes, of course, you guys. They were super hospitable to us. So glad to have you guys. So they welcomed us in. And they said, in fact, man, we are so glad you guys are here. Have you ever considered maybe purchasing this building? And we're like, man, no way. I mean, we're just like a baby church. We're two weeks old. No, we, we don't. But by God's grace, we began to grow. We kept meeting and gathering and we're like, maybe we should go back and talk to them. So we did. We circled back and said, hey, would you guys still be interested in selling the building? And their answer, hard pass. That felt like a setback. And then by God's grace, COVID happened. And we began to form a relationship with the folks here at First Baptist. And here we are six years down the road at this amazing location with a bunch of great friends and partners in the ministry. We couldn't have envisioned that, but God was providing for the little church that could the whole way, right? Amen, yeah. 
we, we wouldn't have drawn it up that way and yet was God providing? Yes. Did he provide in the same way? No, some doors were open, some doors were closed. We've got to always trust that God will provide and let him be God and figure out how. Look, God not only knows what is best, God knows how is best. Do you believe that? Like we can say that kind of like very religious-y sounding, oh, Lord knows, hmm. Lord knows what is best. But do you believe that God knows how is best as well? Because if you're gonna take steps of obedience, we must begin to embrace not only that he knows what should happen, but he knows how it should happen along the way. Philippians 4, verse 19, we read it earlier. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And friends, that bank account never goes dry. God will provide for you, but it may be in ways that you do not expect. Number three, if we're to take steps of obedience, we must trust this about God's provision. God's provision is often despised. Say, what do I mean by that? The Lord, being the Lord, could provide for his people in whatever way he wanted, right? He could have provided for Elijah however he wanted to provide. And yet he chose to provide for Elijah in very unconventional ways. First, he sends ravens. Okay, pause just for a minute. What nationality was Elijah? He was Jewish, it's not a trick question, okay? He was Jewish. And Jewish abided by the Old Testament law. And do you know what the Old Testament law says about ravens? They're unclean. They're literally dirty birds. You want to dance, Derek? Now's the time. Yeah, this is it. He's got his falcon shirt on. Yeah. Derek will favor you with a dance later. Okay. They're carrion feeders, scavengers. And God, for whatever period of time that was, day after day, morning by evening, chose to provide for his prophet through a dirty bird. Then he packs up and he goes to Zarephath. Where's Zarephath? Well, Zarephath is in Sidon, home base for Baal. Are there no, are there no widows in Israel who could be looked after? Jesus actually makes this point in the Gospel of Luke. No, there's plenty of widows who could be looked after. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, said, Elijah, I want you to go to this pagan city and find this widow who herself is probably a worshiper of Baal. And that's how I'm going to provide for you. I am going to provide for you in rather unconventional ways. But can I ask you a question, church? If you've read the Bible, should we really be surprised by this time? It seems like the Lord likes to do things unconventionally. He likes to turn our paradigms upside down. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says exactly that. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant, and look at this word, and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. God delivered his people from Goliath the giant with a shepherd boy and a sling. 
God got the message of the gospel to the people of Nineveh with a reluctant prophet and a whale? Should we be shocked when God does things in ways that we don't expect them to? Our God loves the unconventional. Or could I say it this way? God is often unconventional, but he's never unfaithful. God may not work in the ways you expect him to. In fact, I would say if you had to have a preference, you should expect God to work in ways you don't expect him to. God is unconventional, but he is never unfaithful. What does that mean? We can take giant steps of obedience. Lord, I do not see a way here. I do not know how you are going to show up. There is nothing on the horizon that looks like you're going to provide, but here I go because I know you're faithful. You're unconventional. I don't have to see you're working. I just have to know that you are working. That's what caused Elijah to walk right into the throne room of King Ahab and say, the world looks like it's going to hell. Everybody's worshiping Baal here, but listen, no rain's coming. Baal's out of commission because God's still on the throne. I could trust him. He'll take care of me. Friends, God will take care of you too when you take steps of obedience. If God arranged ravens and a widow from a pagan city to take care of his prophet. Can't he take care of your little issues too? Can't you just obey him and say, God, I know you're going to show up. If you command the birds, if you command a little cruise of oil and a jar of flour, you certainly have enough power and wisdom and care for your people to take care of my situation. I can trust you. So no matter what need you may be facing, let me encourage you this morning, take a step of faith. He can be trusted to uphold his end of the bargain. Maybe God might be calling you to share the gospel with a loved one in your life or a coworker, friend, family member, and you're saying, man, I don't know how they're gonna respond. Can I encourage you if you take that step of obedience? God will give you the comfort, the strength. He'll help you endure even if you face rejection. Maybe God's calling you to give in ways more significantly that you've ever given before. And you're a little white knuckled, chewing down your nails. Can I encourage you if you take that step of obedience, God will meet your every need. He will supply for you in ways you expect and in ways you don't expect. God can be trusted in that. Maybe God is calling you to serve in more significant ways. Maybe it's here in our local church and you've been like, man, I feel like God is tugging me in this way. Can I, can I tell you this? God will give you the training and the grace and the equipping that you need. Maybe God's calling you into the ministry in some way. God will meet you in that. Let's just trust him. As we take these steps of faith, his arms are strong enough to catch us, friends. He's never dropped a kid. He's not gonna start now. His track record is perfect. He will not let his people down. And let me remind you of this. The Lord seems to delight to meet his people's needs in the most unconventional ways. God looked on the state of all of humanity and said they're helpless and hopeless to save themselves. They can't forgive their sins. They can't make themselves new. They have no way. So God did his finest unconventional work. He sent his one and only son into the world 
Not as a king, but as a baby in a manger. Not as a conqueror, but as a sacrifice to rescue anyone and everyone who would take that first step of obedience and say, I trust you to save me. And when you step into the arms of God, he catches you every single time. If you don't know this God who doesn't drop his people, can I urge you this morning, fall into the everlasting arms. They are strong, they are mighty, and their posture is not this. They are wide open. Come to him. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. Look at, look at it very carefully. It says, when we were helpless. There it is. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't have the power to save ourselves. We didn't know where the help was going to come from. We had no resources or assets to rescue ourselves. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I tell you this morning, get on the edge of the pool and jump, jump. His arms are wide and he will catch you. It might not be the way you expect. It is definitely unconventional, but he is faithful. He is faithful, is he not church? Here's what I do wanna do right now. If our prayer team could stand by, I want to invite us to respond to this in just a couple of ways this morning. Can we just really be honest? Obedience is sometimes scary, but it's the path of blessing and joy. What step of obedience is God calling you to take? Right now, start to think about that. What step of obedience is God calling you to take? Maybe it's in sharing the gospel or generosity or serving or a call to ministry. I don't know what it is in your life, but how is God calling you to step out in faith, to jump off the edge of the pool and trust him? Can I encourage you to think about that question? The second thing I want you to think about is this. What do you need to believe about God right now? What do you need to believe about that God who's waiting there on the edge of the pool and saying, come on, come on. Maybe you come from a background where you didn't have a father that would catch you or that was present. Let me tell you, this father's different. Maybe you had a father who was great, but there's some failings there. This father never dropped a person. I wanna encourage you this morning, no matter what your background or your story is, this father is always faithful. He will receive you if you just trust in him. Here's what we're gonna do right now. I'm gonna ask Isaiah to continue to play quietly. A couple of ways you can respond. Will you maybe share with someone around you? Let's kind of solidify this, that step of obedience that God is calling you to take. If you feel comfortable with that, will you share with someone around you that step of obedience that God is calling you to take? And maybe even say, can I pray for you? Just pray for one another in that. We have several folks standing in the back right now. And if God is just calling you to take a step of obedience, that you're really burdened about. Maybe you need to trust in Christ for the very first time. Man, these folks are standing by. They would love to pray over you and encourage you to take that step of obedience. I'm gonna pray. And then I wanna encourage you, if you feel comfortable, grab somebody around you and share that step of obedience that God is calling you to take and then pray for one another. And then we'll sing as we're done. Everybody got it? All right, let me pray for us. Father, pause. 
Okay, hang on. I'm going to pray. I want you to pray with me. Okay, here's what I mean. If I say something that you agree with, can you say the word amen? Yeah, that's not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Can you say the word amen? Amen. Amen. Let's encourage one another in prayer. Okay, can we do that? Let's just really, as you hear things that resonate in your spirit, let's lean in. We talk about this a lot at Gospel Hope. Prayer is hard work. Let's lean in and ask the God of the universe to help us. Let's worship him and respond to him. Amen? Amen. That's better. Father, we bless your name that you are a faithful God. Lord, we bless your name for sending Jesus to rescue helpless people like us. Lord, we worship you because even right now we are weak and powerless, but Christ is able. You can supply all our needs. Lord, I pray for the folks in this room right now that are afraid. There's a step of obedience you're calling them to take, and they are afraid. I pray that by your spirit, you would draw near to them. Lord, I pray for the folks that are uncertain. They're not sure if it's your voice or not, Lord. Would you give them clear direction to follow your lead? Lord, I pray for the person in this room that doesn't know Jesus. Would they cast aside their unbelief and doubt and fears and run into the arms of the Savior? Lord, I pray that there would be a a fresh movement of your spirit as we seek to lean into what your word has spoken to us this morning. Lord, would you change us? Help us to be a, a people who obey your voice because we trust your hand. A people who obey your voice by trusting your hand. Lord, give us faith. Help our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Just take a minute, share what God is saying in your heart with somebody around you and just begin to pray for one another.